this is Julie at Dogcast Radio. If you like dogs, wherever you are in the world, we're the show for you. Hello and welcome to episode 156 of Dogcast Radio, which is the first of our Crufts specials. In this show, not only do we have some great stories from the most prestigious dog show in the world, but we have a fantastic giveaway too. We'll jump in with an interview about a very important aspect of Crufts, one of the competitions. You heard from Jodie Forbes in our pre-Crufts show, and she and her dog Bramble were participating in the Young Kennel Club grooming competition. I watched her grooming Bramble and then swooped in for an interview. You've just literally come out of the ring from the, the young grooming competition. And you were in there two hours, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, two hours. It's a long competition. It's easy, isn't it? Yeah, and it's, it's quite hard. Um, you're in there for so long and the dogs get tired by the end and they just want to sit down, but you have to keep going. And then at the end they get this massive reward, so yeah. it's all worth it, really. Yeah. I mean, one thing that was apparent, because like, it was quite a long time to stand at the side. I wasn't there for two hours, but <laughs> I was there for a while. But there seemed to be a really nice relationship, certainly between you and Brambles. But the dogs and handlers seem to have a really nice, positive, loving relationship. There was nice handling going on as well. Yeah, um, I think a lot of, when I was listening to the commentating, a lot of the um, the dogs and the kids do other activities like agility, obedience, here works music, and I think through that you build up a massive, like incredible bond with your dog, but also just through grooming it, I mean you need to be kind to your dog, otherwise they'll just sit down and think, no I'm not doing this, or they'll just jump off the table, so you have to always keep positive and it builds up this bond between you and your dog. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was actually a lovely thing to stand and watch. So if you are a Cruft, go and watch the uh, the grooming competitions. They are good. So now the other thing, the problem that you had though was that Bramble's coat wasn't very full or is that the right word ready for grooming was it because you only qualified in November at Discover Dogs didn't you so that how do you deal with that well um, there are two stages in a Border Terrier's coat um, it's when the, the overcoat is um, quite long and then when it gets so ready to be stripped it's, it's called blown fully blown and Bramble's coat wasn't fully blown yet so um, what I had to do is just uh, go through and pull out all the dead hair which is called rolling so I had to roll the coat but luckily um, because I haven't been able to strip her stomach or um, her chest because she gets quite grumpy when I do that so um, I managed to strip that area of her today and she was a good girl as well she didn't even bite me which <laughs> which is unusual <laughs> and you were having lots of cuddles as well yeah she kept turning around and trying to give me cuddles I think it was just an excuse not to be stripped to be honest <laughs> it's appeasement isn't it mommy don't groom me got Hazel yeah. and you did recently have a, a very bad scare with Hazel didn't you tell us about that um, okay so Hazel was eating a rawhide treat and I was sat there because I know that well I've heard stories about rawhide that dogs can choke on it and um, and then she started choking but luckily I was right there so I, I saw it straight away but um, so we tried to get the rawhide well we thought there was rawhide stuck in her throat so we tried to get it out um, but after about five minutes we thought this is this is really bad we'll take it to the and um, when she got to the vets, um, the vet gave her a sedative to try and remove what we thought was in her throat. But actually, um, what she had was um, gastric dilation, and it's called bloat. Um, and when she was given the sedative, she actually stopped breathing because the sedative was to remove the food. We didn't realise that actually um, her stomach had twisted round, and that cuts off the, uh, the blood circulation to the heart. So it's a really serious disorder, yeah. And it's so unusual in small dogs, but it just shows that all dogs can get it, really. Yeah. And it, I mean, it's more... Usually it's after a, too big a meal, isn't it, as well? Yeah, usually. Um, well, the dogs that are most likely to get it are dogs that are very active after a meal, dogs that are very... Uh, large yeah. or dogs that have deep chests but Hazel hasn't got any of these and she, she hadn't been exercised and she hadn't even been fed all she'd had was that rawhide treat so it's just so unusual but yeah as I said all dogs can get it and so many owners don't even know about it and it's, it's a shock because it's the second biggest killer after cancer in dogs. So I mean what, were, what, what are the symptoms to look out for? Um, well, the most obvious one is the bloated stomach. So the stomach's so massive, and if you tap it, it might sound a bit like a drum, and it's really taut like a drum. Um, there's also gagging, which is, we thought she was choking. It sounds like choking, um, but 
yeah, gagging, and sometimes they bring up some like um, white stringy mucus, um, but sometimes they, they're not sick at all. Um, there's uh, I think it's called a roached position where their body is just curled over because they're in pain. Um, some dogs cry, Hazel didn't cry, um, and yeah, bulged eyes, uh, red gums, Hazel had very red gums, actually looked like they were bleeding because they were so red, and also um, if it's in the late stages, like Hazel's was, um, they sometimes get blue tongue where um, the circulation just isn't getting round. So if you think your dog has bloat, what should you do? Get to, get them to the vets immediately. There's nothing else you can do because um, bloat kills dogs within 60 minutes. I mean, it's, it's an instant killer. She was fine before, and then within 10 minutes we thought we were going to lose her, and it's, it was just such a shock. But, yeah, all you can do is get straight to the vet. So you have to have a reliable vet that you can trust, and you have to know that they're there all the time. And if your vet goes away, make sure you can source another vet nearby. And, I mean, thankfully, Hazel came through it, didn't she? Yeah, she's actually fine now. To be honest, if you looked at her right now, you wouldn't think that anything had changed. She's, she's so lively, and she's trying to go out and play with her ball. But, unfortunately, she's not allowed to do anything too active at the moment. But, yeah, she's getting a bit bored just being stuck at home. <laughs> That's a good sign, though. Yeah, it's a great sign, yeah. It's just these terriers, they always bounce back so quickly. <laughs> it does sort of take a bit longer to bounce back, don't we? Because it's quite... It must have been so traumatic. Yeah, it was, it was horrible, actually. I, was, I had shock. I had had um, delayed shock so I was really ill for a couple of days afterwards and I was sick and I just felt so ill because it's, it is just the shock because as I said she was just a perfectly fine healthy dog well healthy enough and then just within 10 minutes we thought she had died and also because our, our vet wasn't meant to be open so my mum and I had to stand in as, as, as the vet nurses so um, we had to help out throughout the whole time even when she was laying there and we thought she was dead we still had to stay there and try and help and just seeing that is it was just really horrible yeah. yeah and I mean some of the treatment that is given to sort of keep them alive or bring them you know do what you can it's quite rough and, and it seems a bit brutal and to see that done or to have to do that to your own dog. Yeah. It must have been awful. Yeah, it was, um, because as she wasn't breathing, my mum had to give the chest compressions, but really deep, and it was like nearly breaking her ribs, and you could see she was being moved around, and obviously she didn't know anything about it, she was completely out of it, and maybe that's why she's bounced back so quickly, because she doesn't actually know what happened, she can just remember waking up and feeling a bit ill, but other than that, really, she's fine, yeah. Well, I'm glad there was a happy ending anyway. Yeah, but there isn't always a happy ending, so we have to get to the vet straight away if your dog shows the symptoms. Absolutely. Now we'll move to a happier subject because yeah. you're also here at Crufts to uh, receive uh, an award for your art, aren't you? So tell me about yeah. that. Um, well, I entered the Young Kennel Club Artist of the Year competition and there are three categories. There's the under 12, um, 12 to 18 and then 18 to 24, I think. I think that's right. It sounds about right. And um, this year's subject was um, what your dog was born to do. Contemplating drawing border terriers, but border terriers were bred to hunt, so I thought it would be a bit gruesome for a kids' art competition. So um, instead, I drew some huskies in front of a um, kind of mountain scene because I think huskies are like the perfect dog to show that because they absolutely love their jobs, what they're bred to do. They just love sledding, yeah, yeah. And I've been sledding, and they absolutely—it's it's amazing to watch because they're crying until they go, and then they're just sprinting off, and they love it so much. Yeah. Well, congratulations. Thank you. Jodie did have a lot to celebrate because it turned out she was awarded second place in the Over 18's Groomer of the Year competition. I'm so pleased that Hazel is doing well now. And you can keep up with Jodie Bramble and Hazel via Facebook and YouTube. All of which links, along with all others mentioned in the show, you can find on the Dogcast Radio site. Another very important aspect of Crufts is that it allows many dog-related charities to promote their cause to the public. I spoke to Sarah Watson from Dogs for the Disabled about what their dogs do, and some of this might surprise you. So Dogs for the Disabled, um, probably best known for our assistance dogs work, so we train dogs to help people with physical disabilities, um, children and adults, um, and we also help um, children who are affected by autism, um, so we train dog assistance dogs for them. But what people might not know about us is that we also provide workshops to families with a child affected by autism to help them explore the helping potential of, of a pet dog um, rather than a fully trained assistance dog, um, because we all know that dogs bring value to all of our lives. 
lives. Yeah. So yeah. why? So, so that can equally be with pet dogs and things as well. Um, and then we also um, we've just started some newer services, which people really probably don't know much yeah. about as well. So using animal-assisted intervention techniques, which is really about um, thinking of dogs as as part of a package of therapy that um, a child or an adult might might benefit from. So we've just started working in two special educational needs schools, um, helping to working alongside therapists and alongside teachers to help um, help children engage with their learning, help them to um, improve their um, their outcomes when they're doing physiotherapy and things as well. So things like if it's if it's good for a child to be able to to help build their core muscles, help strengthen their hands, and um, by throwing a throwing a beanbag, well that can be great, but it can be a little bit boring for them to do it. So actually, when you put a dog into the mix, so that the dog actually retrieves the beanbag, brings it back to them, the motivation's so much more great. So and that has yeah absolutely. So that can bring real benefits to to both the dogs and the you know to and the dogs love doing it and things as well, but bring massive benefits to to the children that we help. So we're also working in um, um, working with adults with autism who are living in assisted living. Um, and we're doing things like helping with road safety um, and things as well. So they have to learn that they have to get the dogs to sit at the side of the road, and that also teaches them about, you know, thinking about themselves before they get run across the road and things as well. So helping get them out to just to a coffee shop, um, because actually for many adults with autism, they can suffer greatly from anxiety, really struggle to do that. So actually helping them to go to a coffee shop, getting their confidence up and things as well. So actually they can go out with their family to have a cup of coffee, go out for lunch and things as well. So it can have really powerful knock-on effects. Really, I didn't know half of that, so <laughs> you've told me. <laughs> you've educated me today. Okay, so let's go back to the, the assistance dogs for, for mobility. Mm. Um, so what kind of behaviours will they have to learn? What will those dogs have to So we very much use um, natural instincts and we use reward-based training to train our dogs. And our dogs are mainly golden retrievers, labradors, um, a lot of those sort of gun dog breeds and things as well. So the dogs will really learn. Um, you, uh, they do a lot of what they really enjoy doing. So they're picking things up from the floor. They're, um, we, we teach them through starting off with a game of, of pull, a game of tug. Then we'll shape those behaviours and really, really um, shape those to doing things like um, opening a door or pulling a pair of socks off and things as well, which in itself may not seem an awful lot, but actually for a lot of our clients, there was um, someone that we work with um, who had been had a really active life in the police force. Um, he had um, was then in a, a in a cycling accident um, and he broke his neck, um, and he um, wasn't able to. He needed a lot of help and things as well to assist him. Um, but actually, his dog um, has been trained to get him undressed and ready for bed at night and things as well. And that means that now he used to wait, have to wait until his carers came in. And his carers, he was a 45-year-old man, and his yeah. carers could come in at 8 o'clock in the evening or they could come in at 11 o'clock at night. And as a 45-year-old man, you don't want to be going to bed at 8 o'clock in the evening. So actually now he gets his dog to help him every evening, get ready for bed. Um, and it means that he can go out, he can go out with his friends, he can go out for a drink and things as well. Um, or, you know, he just can go, he's, he's got the independence, he's got the freedom to do what he wants to do when he wants to do it. So the practical task that we teach our dogs to do really does have a massive impact on, yeah. And I guess as well, when, when you ask another human being to do something for you, it, it can feel a bit like a defeat sometimes. Yeah. Whereas when you're doing it with, a, with your dog, when your dog's helping you, it feels more like teamwork, doesn't it? Absolutely. I think so many of our partnerships, so they get so much more confidence from the fact that they ask the dog to do it, the dog wags his tail, never touches, yeah. and says, but I just got you yes, that. I just sat uh, down. Yeah, exactly. So the dog's like, yeah. I'll do it again you know they're really pleased to do it so and I think that's the other thing it completely you know for, for many couples um, I think they found that over time you know they maybe they've acquired their disability um, you know or, or you know through um, either you know sort of some sort of accident or you know sort of an illness like muscular dystrophy or something like that um, and they've they've actually found um, that you know they're no they it's changed their relationship with with their husband or wife um, and actually what change, you know? What changes again is if the dog can do that for them, it means that they can go back to being a couple again, and that's so emotionally important. So it really does bring huge, great benefits to, to the whole.
whole family and not just to the person that they may be directly helping. Yeah, yeah. And you've touched on something else there that some, sometimes is a misconception that, you know, as a, as a human being, as a person, you think, I don't want to be constantly getting up and fetching you this and doing this. And, but dogs just don't have that mentality, do they? No, I think dogs really want to help us. Yeah. They, you know, and, and they, they get so much reward. And obviously, we're using a lot of natural instincts. We use lots and lots of reward, lots of praise. So we really believe this is a partnership. It's, yeah. you know, because, and we teach all of our, you know, all of our um, clients, the people that we work with, um, to really be dog trainers themselves. So, yeah, they learn all about the techniques that we use and things as well. And we also encourage them to, you know, all the dogs that, you know, do lots of work with them in terms of, you know, they still get to free run them and they still have all of those doggy behaviors. We really encourage them to groom their dogs every day. And that really increases the bonding process. And of course, for our dogs, they're with their owners 24 hours a day. So what more would a dog ask for? Absolutely. So I think, yeah. some, you know, some of our dogs, are, you know, our dogs yeah. are really some of the happiest dogs yeah, that you could meet. Absolutely. Yeah. I absolutely agree. And when they need veterinary care, it's prompt and it's, it's yeah. they get the care they need, don't they? Absolutely. I mean, we support, um, you know, we help support the cost of the, the veterinary care and things as well. Um, but yeah, I think one of the things that we always notice is that just how, you know, our, our partnerships the people and the people that we work with, they know, they're so in tune with their dogs yeah. that if there is ever any concerns and things as well, then, you know, they they are absolutely right there sorting their dog out, getting them to the vet and things as well. Yeah. So yeah, they, they really do. They keep them in tip-top condition every day. These are happy, well-cared for dogs. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, this is really intriguing. So tell me about the autism dogs now. Yeah. So when we, so I guess we, we you know, when we set up, um, the, you know, years ago, we, we set up, we were the first assistance dog charity to start training um, dogs for physically disabled children. Um, and um, it was really interesting. When we first started it, you know, so many people came to us and said, never work with animals and children, you know, all of the cliches all came out and things as well. But we were kind of like, no, there's something here. There's, a, you know, the bond could be really, you know, could be, you know, can be really powerful between children and dogs and things as well. But what we found was that, um, all you know, so many inquiries came in from parents with a child affected by autism, um, about because they'd seen how their dogs, how their children interacted with dogs and things as well, and seen the positive. And there were services um, across the world training um, dogs for, for um, children with autism. So we went and looked at those projects and then brought the service over here. Um, so, yeah, it really has been incredibly um, powerful. I think the dog acts as a calming focus um, for the child and things as well and becomes a friend. They don't judge, um, you know, and they become also for many children with, you know, it's a social, you know, social yeah. communication. Um, but actually, you know, the dogs, you know, don't ask anything of them and so they feel that they have a friend and they can trust in things as well um, but very often um, the parents and um, whether it's our autism service our assistance dog service or our, our pause workshops that we provide we find really creative solutions to helping and um, overcome some of the challenges that many of the parents find so there was one child that we worked with um, who got really stressed really anxious about going to school which and and because of that he didn't want to put it on his school uniform because that was the trigger point to him going to school so what we used to do was put him and so what we tried did was we got the dog to wear his school tie and so and because that kind of just broke the ice it made him smile and if the dog was going to wear his school tie to school then you know he would yeah and the dog the dog only got to the school gates he didn't go into the school but actually it was enough to actually get him there and we do things like because all of our dogs we encourage the people to we encourage people to clean their dog's teeth and things like that right from an early age and for many children with sensory difficulties that autism brings then cleaning your teeth you know cleaning teeth and things as well can be quite difficult but actually if they see that the dog is having its teeth cleaned and it's not worried and things as well then it can become part of their daily routine and obviously that's got big you know health benefits and things longer term so all sorts of little you know different kind of ways and what we found with the workshops is it's been so great for parents you know we'll have um, eight to twelve families coming together talking 
talking about their experience so they get a bond out of you know hearing other people's yeah. experiences of their own children but they also share ideas as well so you know approaches and things as well so I sat in on one workshop when they were saying that their son um, gets really anxious about sitting on queues and yeah. um, just doesn't want to sit in a queue doesn't understand why they have to do it and things as well um, and actually they said right okay what we're going to do is we're going to go home and, and kind of practice sitting in queues and things as well so but the dog can be one of the people it's waiting to yeah. be served and things and then you know and and just rehearse that so that actually the next time that they're waiting in Sainsbury's you know to, to actually yeah. you know their child knows you know knows what's happening in things as well they can talk it through and, and they can find solutions for it so yeah it, it works amazingly well your dogs are incredible what you get them to do is amazing so I'm, I'm in awe of dogs for the disabled it's brilliant um, where can people find out more about you online so um, we um, the best way to actually find out about us is go to our website dogsforthedisabled.org we don't receive any government funding or um, so we rely completely on donations generosity of the public so yeah go online you can make a donation through the website and links to support our work it never ceases to amaze me the difference a dog can make to a life. And many thanks to Sarah for taking time out of a busy crufts to tell me about Dogs for the Disabled. And if you want to find out more about the charity, click on our link to their website. If you've listened to the show before, you'll know that I'm a huge fan of medical detection dogs. Again, their dogs make a difference too and save lives. And the charity seems to touch so many hearts with their work. Their latest celebrity supporter is Jill Wright, who played Jean Slater in EastEnders. I asked her what had attracted her to support the charity. Medical Detection Dog is a charity that um, I've only, well, I, I was sort of aware of for a few years ago, um, but I was too busy when asked to help. I, I knew that I couldn't commit that regular time, but now I'm less busy. Um, I went to an open day of theirs um, a few months ago and saw again the um, wonderful training that the dogs go through um, in order to detect uh, cancer or not detect cancer, which is equally important from breath samples, um, training to alert. Uh, with regards to diabetes, that they've recently trained the very first airborne peanut allergy dog, and there is loads more work to be done. And uh, having spent the afternoon there and seeing the dogs train, I witnessed a dog alert uh, her, his owner during her speech. One couldn't help be but fundamentally moved, really, and um, especially when the medical detection dogs has only really been going for I think it's seven years yeah. what has been achieved and how many people are now starting just starting to take notice um, that when I was asked to be an ambassador there wasn't really any other answer to say except yes I'll do my best <laughs> yeah. I mean it is amazing when you see the training going on what the dogs can achieve but then when you talk to some of the partners who have a dog who alerts them and how it's changed their lives yeah. it is amazing isn't it it's fundamental and uh, I did an interview recently with um, someone who does a lot uh, does the Smith magazine for medical detection dogs and she was telling me that um, a young lad has just acquired his new dog there's a four year waiting list now for dogs that alert and um, this dog can alert whilst he's playing football from the side of the pitch go to the right bag in all the kit bags in a pile unzip it and take his medication onto the pitch for him I mean yeah. I find that so it's, it's incredible isn't yeah, it? yeah yeah and also when you think about I don't know the right technical term, but the ability for a dog to smell, whatever the yeah. off-fill doodah yeah. things are, um, it's, it, it double smells through its nose and the back of its throat. Uh, how obvious it is, now, now that they're doing this, how obvious it is that a disease will give off a smell that a dog can recognise and how that can benefit us and people who, you know living, general human beings living and how we've not actually tapped into this m wonderful resource that's actually far more trustworthy than any of the human um, tests that are for amazes me is this, uh, they have um, the only scientifically proven Addison's detection dog in the world, Coco, who, who's Karen's dog. Yes. Um, but 
he's detecting the lack of something. Yes. You know, that, that the cortisol's gone. That's incredible. Yes. Uh, you know, when you think, how do you train a yes. dog to detect the lack of something? I know. Something? Well, of course, that's equally important, isn't it? You know, if the dog comes into the room and there's um, eight arms on that testing machine thing and uh, they have to, they sit if they detect a smell and they walk on by if they don't and the walking on by is just as important as, you know, you don't want an incorrect no. um, uh, you know, test result you know <laughs> which there are quite a lot in, um, you know, well there are yeah, and I mean apparently the diabetes dogs will alert before the blood test, you know, before the equipment yeah. will show you that you've got a low or a high. Yeah, and that's what I witnessed at this open day was, um, it was magic and Claire, um, she was talking about how she, what her life was like diabetes-wise before she had magic. Then she uh, got in contact with medical detection dogs. Her diabetes was so extreme that they put her at the top of the list and got a dog trained up for her and how magic has saved her life on so many occasions. But while she was speaking, magic was, she was standing at the front of the room and magic was under a chair at the side. And then magic just came out and quietly poured her and she said, I'm sorry, I've got to stop speaking now and go and do a blood test because magic has just alerted me that I have suddenly dropped, my blood sugars have suddenly dropped to a, a dangerous level and off she went and I was... It is amazing. And I always think as well, when it's a child involved, yeah. it's not just the child's life. Can you imagine how the parents are affected by the fact that yeah. that dog is there yeah. safeguarding the child? Yeah. 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 And also for, I mean, the, there's the um, Powell and, I uh, can't remember her name now, that are shortlisted for the Friends oh, yes. for Life. Claire. Claire yeah. Another yeah. Claire, yeah. Um, Pal, Claire and Powell. I mean, that video that's been shown on the website for medical protection talks and you know da, da, da. that story is quite remarkable because it's the whole family that are affected and seeing those boys say we can now go to school without worrying about our mum is really really very important oh yeah yeah it is it, it's a charity i mean i've stood here and interviewed people and had to stop because I've, I've i've filled up yeah you know and it yeah. is a charity that just touches your heart yeah and the thing is that they've got a four-year waiting list. There is so much more that can be done. This is just the tip of the iceberg. Important people are now taking notice and taking it seriously in terms of the, in, in, uh, the, in, the people that matter. The you know the you know the Milton Keynes Hospital and you know people are now starting to work in partnership with them and think that we need to raise even more awareness so that more money can come in so that more dogs can be trained and. Awesome, isn't she? Because she's, she's got this going from nothing yes, to now. Yes, yes. She has done so much. Yes, yes. And uh, it's just the tip of the iceberg. I think there's so much more that could be done. Yeah. Now it's so obvious to use a dog. <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we'll, we'll put this out and help get some more yeah, support. So yeah, yeah. Where can people find out more about medical detection dogs online? Okay, it is www.medicaldetectiondogs.org.uk. Jill, I think it's wonderful that you've come and given your time for free because you've oh. had a huge queue of people, I haven't know. you? Getting... <laughs> I know. I was quite relieved. I thought nobody would turn up. <laughs> you've been busy. <laughs> well, thank you ever so much. Thank you um, for inviting me to talk to you. Cheers. All right. Enjoy the rest of Croft. Thank you. Bye-bye. Jill was kept very busy having her photograph taken and signing autographs and all to help promote medical detection dogs. So kudos to her. And do click on the link to the website to find out more about their remarkable dogs and how the charity has blossomed under the inspired leadership of Dr. Claire Guest. It's a fantastic success story. Now, would you like to play a board game that even the family dog can join in with? Well, such a thing really does exist. And here's Richard Squire, who was at Crufts with his unique game. Uh, so we're here with a brand new game um, called Woof and it's a game that you play as a family but you have to have a dog as well wow. so it's the, I like it already <laughs> I like it it's the family game that includes the dog and the interesting twist is the dog can actually win the game oh, I like that so yeah. you can be beaten by your pooch yeah. <laughs> well you see I've got a border collie who's way cleverer than me so I'm on a hiding to nothing here I think uh, yeah, that's a good breed that's a good breed to have you'll be well you'll be well away with that one yeah okay so how do we actually play 
it then? How do we get, you know, do things and get the dogs to join in? Okay, so as you roll the dice like you would with any game and you move around the board, there's different colour paw prints that you land on. Yeah. And different colours mean different things. So if you land on a yellow paw print, you have to pick up a card um, that you have to get your dog to do a trick. So if the dog does the trick, it wins a little bone chip for its uh, for its dog team. Yeah. And then if you land on a light blue um, paw print, you have to answer a question, general knowledge. Uh, if you answer, uh, land on a purple paw print, uh, it's like a game of trumps. So you have to have a competition with your with your uh, opponents over breeds. Yeah. Um, and basically, if the dog gets all eight bones before you get yours, the dog wins. Wow. I, I do like that, yeah. And what was the inspiration for this, Richard? Um, it was actually found by our, our boss, the owner of the company, Mark Ashley Miller, and he found this game in Denmark. Yeah. Um, he saw a real opportunity with it, so he had it translated into English. And um, we brought it over. We launched in November last year on our website, The Present Finder. Um, and it's just the response has been amazing. I mean, we've, we've sold, you know, literally thousands online. And now we're here at Crufts to um, launch it to the dog world. Well, I mean, it's unique, isn't it? It is, it is. It's the only dog, um, only dog, it's the only game in the country that you can play that actually includes the dog. I mean, basically, you, if you don't have a dog, you can't play the game. <laughs> a cat wouldn't do, would it? <laughs> Definitely not. <laughs> and, I mean, it's great because it's not doing silly things with your dog, or like dressing them up or something. Sorry to people who dress them up. Um, but it's actually, you know, training. It's encouraging training, isn't it? Yeah, it's great because it encourages interaction between you and your dog. And the, the tasks range from getting your dog to lie down to um, building an obstacle in your living room and getting the dog to jump over it, getting the dog to roll over. I mean, obviously, um, if your dog's a little bit wayward, you're gonna, it's going to be a long game. <laughs> Part of the fun. <laughs> exactly, exactly, exactly. But it is going to encourage particularly children, I would imagine, although, you know, I'll include myself in children there, um, to sort of that competitive edge, right, I'm going to train the dog then, you know, and dogs are going to benefit from this. Yeah, absolutely. And in, even the general knowledge questions, there's a, an easy level and a hard level. Yeah. So if you are playing with children, you know, you can use the easy questions. Um, and those also encourage general knowledge about dogs and how to look after them. So anything from, you know, what are the purpose of whiskers on a dog, um, different breeds, how to, how to reward a dog three ways. I mean, it's, it's, it's a multiple, um, multi-purpose game, really, and a lot of fun, which is the main yeah, thing. Yeah, excellent. Okay, tell me the website again. So it's available on thepresentfinder.co.uk, um, and uh, just Google Woof. You'll also find it that way, Woof the board game. Um, and you can go online, and there's examples and images of how to play and what to do. Um, there's also Woof the Board Game uh, as a website, which has a really cool little animation yeah. um, that we've done just to show how to play and, and how much fun it is, really. Excellent. Well, it's going to be big. Once dog, dog lovers get hold of this, this is going to be big. So best of luck. Thank you so much. Thank you. I want to play that game. And if you'd like to play, you could win yourself a free copy in our Woof competition. Simply go to the Dogcast Radio Facebook, Twitter or Tumblr page to find out how. Good luck. Adaptil were offering a really interesting experience at the show. They'd set up a walk-through booth comprising four rooms full of loud noises and images taken from a dog's perspective to show how intimidating the world we take for granted can be to a puppy or dog. Matt Walters talked me through it. This stand is uh, basically about um, how a dog sees the world um, and, and trying to get across um, to humans how a dog might experience uh, being a puppy, um, being left at home alone, um, what loud noises are like and also travelling. Okay, so in the, in the, I have gone and had a look, and it is, it is quite intimidating, actually. You don't realise what a big ask we make of our animals, make of our dogs every day. So the first room about it being a puppy, what's what's in there? Um, well, in the first room, um, we've got some um, some pictures of men with uh, a beard, uh, men with glasses, and we've also got some screaming children, screaming babies, which you can imagine is quite scary. For... Freak me out. Yeah, I think that's probably the worst sound here, actually. Yeah. Um, and then um, we've also got in there um, 
pictures of some cows and some horses. And essentially, what we're trying to do is um, explain to people that you know, when um, when you get a puppy, you need to show, introduce them to all of these weird and wonderful things that we think are normal, but actually are are, are quite scary, especially if you're uh, if you're just a little puppy. Yeah, yeah. Because when you walk in there, it really brings it home. It's very loud. It's it, things are big. There, it's the perspective is changed. So it does bring it home just how frightening it, it could be. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And what's really important is that when we introduce puppies to these things that it's, it's a very very gentle introduction and, and they don't become overwhelmed because if they do become overwhelmed they could become fearful of of those uh, those things a man with a beard for the rest of their lives and, and then that would be a really really uh, really bad thing to, yeah, to, yeah. to happen and it is strange things that we take for granted like a beard or my border collie he'd never seen anybody with a hood on and somebody leant over him with a hood and he just backed away and went oh and he the guy put the hood down and, and Rusty was like oh you're a person okay fine you know but he just did not know what somebody and then after that he was fine with hoods because he knew what it was but that could have freaked him out yeah yeah exactly and that just goes to show you know that's a really good another good example of why it's important to introduce your puppy uh, between about six and 16 weeks all the things that they are likely to come across in, in their lives yeah yeah okay so then after the puppy room what's the next room um, after the puppy room we've got um, home alone mm. um, so um, uh, we've got a ticking clock there just to uh, just to remind people that um, they couldn't have constant sounds going on at home um, and then and then we've also got the bin men uh, yeah. collecting the the rubbish or the recycling um, no, it's a it's it's a it's a sound that we're probably quite used to. But um, I think if you're left at home, if you're left home alone and your owner's not around and that's the person that you rely on, then yeah. there can be some some strange noises. Yeah, and it's loud. And as you say, you don't hear it that often, do you? So. No, no, that's right. Exactly. Uh, yeah, that, the the crashing of the of the glass as it empties into the bin can be uh, quite disturbing, I would imagine, for a dog left home alone. Okay, and then the next room? Um, the room after that is all about loud noises. So um, normally we associate uh, loud noise, uh, fear of loud noises with things like fireworks, mm. um, but they happen just once a year. But yeah. what we forget is that loud noises can happen all year round. So um, thunder, some dogs are scared of thunder yeah. and, and lightning, but not just noises that happen outside of the home but also inside of the home as well so um, the microwave beeping um, or the smoke alarm going off um, um, popping popcorn um, which sounds a bit like uh, uh, fireworks and then the last room is traveling isn't it yeah the final room is the is the travel room so we've got a screen in there um, with, with some footage of a car and it's actually traveling backwards because that's not something that we're, that we're particularly used to and then we've got the uh, the noises of uh, and images of a motorbike coming past very fast uh, and then some sirens and some emergency vehicles um, the hissing of uh, of, uh, of some um, brakes from a, from a lorry or a bus um, and, and, a, and a tractor and it's just trying to get across the the idea of uh, what it must be like being in a car not knowing where you're going and what all those strange noises are yeah yeah no it's a really good thing and it, and it does get the message across about how how frightening life can be that we take for granted and why is the dog having a problem with it yeah so it's good now so obviously the aim is that we socialize our dogs or, or expose them to those things early on right. and they can cope with them if we've got an older dog or a dog that just finds one of those things too too much to cope with how can we help them um, there, are, there are different things that you you can um, you can try I mean the First of all, the best thing to do is, is talk to your vet yeah. um, and, and get some sort of behaviour advice. If, if the vet can't help you um, directly, then they may refer you to, um, to a behaviourist. Yeah. Um, and then they can try all sorts of different types of things. Just, for instance, travelling, uh, would the first thing that you would, you would do is just get your dog used to being in the, in the boot of the car. Um, not actually going anywhere, but just just sitting in the boot of the car just for very very short periods of time, and then perhaps rewarding the dog with a few treats when yeah. it's in the boot of the car, and then perhaps progressing to going to very very short journeys, it's building up the dog's confidence in in the car, yeah. um, and 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 at the same time um, by using um, products like Adaptil that can that can just give that give the dog the support while yeah. it's learning these these new strange and wonderful things. Yeah, yeah. So break it down into sort of manageable steps and absolutely. Give him yeah, some yeah. It's like uh, eat an elephant. Uh, you just do it in, in burgers. <laughs> <laughs> I've never. Heard 
said that before. I like that. <laughs> okay, so where can people find out more about Adaptil online? Um, you can find out more about Adaptil, obviously, at the stand here at Crufts. But, yeah, you just be going online, uh, um or by visiting your, your vet. You're listening to Dogcast Radio on www.dogcastradio.com. With the ramped-up sound that you could hear in the background there and the huge images on the walls taken from a dog's perspective, it really brought home to me how intimidating the world we ask our dogs to face can be and how well most of them cope with it. Assistance dogs are chosen for their ability to cope with life well and Hearing Dogs for Deaf People had a special message about some summer events for the public. I spoke to Ronnie to find out more. Um, we're publicising our Great British Dog Walk, which is 10 um, national walks across the country. Um, the first one starts in, on March 22nd in Glasgow, and then um, they come right down the country um, throughout um, March, April, May and June. Excellent. So you can just go, go online, find yep. where your nearest one is, and go and have a walk with your dog? Yep, so if you go to www.greatbritishdogwalk.org, um, you can find where your nearest one is, sign up. Um, it's more than just a dog walk, we've got lots of different things for the family, um, stalls and um, games for the kids to get involved in and it's um, going to be a fun family day out. So uh, is it sort of, are people expected to get sponsorship for this or is it just turn up and... um, The tickets are £10 for adults and £5 for children. Um, You can um, get sponsorship if you want to but there's no pressure to do that, Um, just come along and have a good day out as well. Right. And it's in aid of hearing dogs for yeah, deaf people? Yeah, it's in, ha- in aid of hearing dogs for deaf people. Um, if you can't attend a walk, you can um, sponsor um, one of our recipients and his hearing dog, Richard and Cameron. They're doing all the walks. And um, you can visit, yeah, if you go to the website, um, there's an opportunity to sponsor them there as well. Yeah. Okay, excellent. For anyone that hasn't heard about hearing dogs for deaf people, what does the charity do? Um, we provide um, hearing dogs for deaf people. Um, we uh, partner the dogs with with um, the recipients um, so to alert them to sounds, everyday sounds such as smoke alarm, fire, uh, fire alarm, um, alarm clock, um, doorbells, cooker timers um, and more than just alerting to sounds they also provide um, companionship and they provide like a visible, for an invisible disability they provide um, the, eye, the kind of you can see that they're yeah they're yeah makes you aware yeah 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 and I guess breaks breaks the ice in social circumstances yeah, exactly. uh, situations you exactly, know you talk yeah. about the dog don't you? yeah and yeah. some people you know think that if you, if you say excuse me they they can't hear that they're being talked yeah. to people think they're being rude but really they they just don't know that they're no, deaf and but you're quite right you don't, don't yeah you don't exactly so I mean it must be life changing for for a deaf person when they get one of your dogs exactly they are life changing dogs people will say that they don't they didn't want to go out of the house anymore but they have to go out of the house with a dog it gets them out out into the community people they come up to them talk to them it's exactly it breaks the ice they want to talk yeah. about their dog and everyone wants to straight their dog and yeah and yeah it does change their lives and um yeah the recipients say how much how much of a difference it does make to them while i was talking to ronnie about the great british dog walk and if you fancy joining in one of the walks a link can be found on the dogcast radio site a gorgeous dog caught my eye as they will, and I had to go and say hello. His human, Simon, told me more about the gorgeous dog whose name is Echo. Well, Echo's a 13-month-old yellow lab. Um, we've had him since he was uh, eight weeks of age. He's, uh, he's one of a litter of six puppies that were bred by hearing dogs. Um, and uh, all five of the six of them are all in the uh, hearing dog uh, training scheme at the moment. And one of them is, uh, has gone back to the guide dogs, as his father was a guide dog. So, um, yeah, we share a, share a, a common interest. So, I mean, he's got the uh, the heritage there. He's gonna, he should make an excellent hearing dog. I think so. Yes, he's passing all his milestones um, um, very well. He's passed his uh, one and two star and three star awards. Um, he's just taking his Kennel Club Good Citizens Award scheme, and um, they're very keen um, for him to enter training shortly. Brilliant, brilliant. So he'll be going off. Will you be saying goodbye to him then? Yes, unfortunately, we will. Yeah. <laughs> now that must be you know a a tear to let him go it it can be um you get very attached to all the dogs um for different reasons but um hearing dogs are very good and they give you another puppy quite quickly Um, so you transfer your affections from one to another but we do miss all our dogs um very much when they go on 
I guess the thing is, you know from the start, and you know that dog's going to make such a difference to somebody's life, don't you? Absolutely, and that's why we all do it. Um, all the socialisers um, realise that when they take a puppy on, it's for a limited period of time. Uh, and uh, it, as long as you keep in the back of your mind why you're doing it, um, and, and that's uh, th for that for us, that's everything. Yeah. So, so how much of a commitment is it? Well, you, you've had him sort of over a year, isn't it now? Yes, so since he was eight months, eight months of age. Yeah, eight, eight weeks. Uh, sorry, eight weeks of age. Yes. Yeah. And uh, um, he comes to work with me every. I'm fortunate yeah. that um, I can take him to work with me, so he's with me 24 hours a day practically. Um, and we're responsible for all their um, obedience training and, and general training all the way up until they come back to the charity for their sound work training, which is right at the end of their training sort of life. So do you have to go to sort of like a weekly class? Yeah, um, every fortnight we have to go to one of the training centres um, to do puppy, formal puppy classes with a professional dog trainer. Um, and while we're there, they give us things that we can carry on with us in our own home or out in the public. Uh, and then um, we go back in a fortnight's time and they see whether he's um, learned yeah. things that we're... Um, have you done your homework? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so when you're socialising, can, can he come into sort of restaurants and wherever where other dogs couldn't or not? Um, OK, okay that, that's a bit of a rub there, actually. Because he's not a qualified assistance dog, he has no right of access to uh, public places. However, as socialisers, we all carry a little letter from hearing dogs uh, sort of to whom it may concern. Uh, and that kind of introduces us as uh, puppy socialisers and, and sets out the aims and intents of the charity and, and asks politely if it would be OK for us. We've been really lucky. Most of the places we've taken are hearing dogs. They've, they've welcomed them. However, some people, um, you know, yeah. say, I'm sorry, no, can't come in, can't come in. And they're completely unaware of, uh, of uh, the, the access rights that assistance dogs, qualified assistance dogs, do have. Yeah. Which, I mean, that is, sh I mean, obviously, yes, he's not a qualified assistance dog yet. But the fact that assistance dogs actually get turned out of places and taxis, I mean, he's disgusting and illegal. Yeah, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. And it still happens. Um, we, what we tend to do is, in, in, um, the hearing dogs, when, when that happens, for the qualified hearing dogs, instead of making a big fuss, what we tend to do is, is make a note of the premises, leave, and then we have a, a team at Hearing Dogs who will actually send a nice letter to the to the people or the premise or the restaurant or wherever it might be, um, you know, gently pointing out um, that there is a legal obligation for people to let access to have access for assistance dogs. So, well, that's that's more gentle than I would be. Oh, you, well, it, 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 the thing is that um, you can't be confrontational with. people. People. It just doesn't work. Yeah. Uh, so the easiest thing to do is say, yeah, okay, and just leave. Yeah. And I then... shall take my money elsewhere. Oh, you will, absolutely, yeah. 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 And our dogs. Yeah. <laughs> Thank goodness for people like Simon, who give dogs like Echo such a great start in life. We have a link to hearingdogs.org.uk where you can find out more. Another important cause being raised at the show was that of being lungworm aware. Bayer did a terrific job of promoting awareness, drafting in many celebrities to attract dog owners' attention. I spoke to Darren Pierce to find out just what lungworm is and why we need to know about it. Uh, it's a parasite of dogs, which we've learned a lot more about over the last 10 or 20 years, um, becoming more widespread across the UK. We're learning more about it all the time. Uh, the reason we need to be particularly concerned is because in some cases it can cause serious disease or even be fatal in dogs. And that's why we want to make sure that dog owners know what the risks are and can take the appropriate steps then to, to control the disease and make sure that their dogs aren't affected unnecessarily. Okay. So how does a dog get you know, contracted? It's got very unusual life cycle this worm but they can only catch it by eating an infected slug or snail. Seems very odd but that's how it works. Slugs and snails themselves will pick the infection up from other dogs or, or foxes who also act as a reservoir for infection. Um, but um, the thing is there, some dogs are known slug and snail eaters, some dogs love to crunch up a snail although that's quite well I, I have a, Well I have a Bichon Frise who's a snail licker. That's even more strange, yes. Maybe we shouldn't investigate that too far. But no. we, we also need to make people aware that um, whilst in some of the, when we talk about this, we tend to, everyone tends to think of those lovely big juicy slugs and snails that you see in the garden. But of course there are lots of tiny little ones, just um, a few millimetres long. They're just as likely to be carrying it. And if a dog's walking through the garden, walking through some long grass, they can pick one of those up on their coat, um, lick it off as they're grooming themselves, so they don't have to eat these things intentionally. And we think that this is very significant as to how some dogs become infected. Thank you.
Okay, so do we need to look out for symptoms or do we, are we more going for prevention? Prevention is probably better because the symptoms are incredibly variable and there's no one sign which, which would show you straight away that a dog's infected with lungworm. Also, sometimes there's no warning. Um, the symptoms, as I've said, vary quite a bit. It's called lungworm. Sometimes it will make dogs cough or have breathing difficulties. Uh, hopefully, vets would be aware of that and would test for lungworm. But in some dogs, it causes a very strange syndrome where um, their blood doesn't clot properly. And so it's possible that the first you would know a dog's infected with lungworm is it cuts its pad, breaks the claw, or maybe goes in for a routine operation and then they bleed uh, and the bleeding can't be stopped and that can be very serious. So that's why again prevention is better than allowing something like that to happen. So how do we prevent it? How do we protect our dogs? Uh, it's relatively simple actually. It can be fitted into regular monthly control of other parasites. So you don't have to give just one thing which is only controlling lungworm. There are treatments available which will also control fleas and roundworms that so can be fitted into a, a good parasite control, control strategy. Now these products are only available on prescription so the essential thing is that any dog owners who want to know more about what they need to do for their dogs with lungworm is they go and talk to their vet, discuss what's going on and their vet will give them advice on the best program that they should use. Find out more about this online. Uh, we have a website, lungworm.co.uk, which will give all the information that people need. Uh, and as I said, uh, uh, having read that, having seen the information, then go and talk to your veterinary surgeon for, for further advice. Okay, thank you very much, and thank you for this campaign, which I'm hopefully is going to save a lot of dogs. Yeah, we hope so too. Thank you. We really do need to protect our dogs from lungworm, and you can see photos on the Dogcast Radio site of some of the celebrities who gave their time to this cause. So far, we've seen the side of Crufts that seeks to educate and inform dog owners. But the Kennel Club also provides learning opportunities for professionals within the dog world. Stephen Jenkinson, who is the Kennel Club's access advisor, had been addressing the subject of commercial dog walkers, and I asked him to tell me about the lecture he'd given in the Kennel Club accredited instructor career zone. I mean, the key thing from the Kennel Club's point of view wanting to get across is tr turning commercial dog walkers into professional dog walkers. Yeah. So it's a bit like breeders. Anybody can be a dog breeder, in essence, which sometimes is a problem. But when you think of our assured breeder scheme, where we're looking at having quality, so both the people who are using those services, whether it's buying a puppy or having your dog walk by somebody, they know that actually those are responsible people. They've got things like insurance. And there's lots of questions like, you know, if somebody's walking lots of dogs, are some of those dogs being left in the van unattended at a time? What happens on a hot day? Um, have they been on a first aid course? All sorts of things. Because if you're walking, you know, to me, I'll let somebody have my car and take it away to fix it. And if they smash it up while well, I've got insurance. But my dog is the most precious thing to me. So actually, who you trust to walk your dog. And also, often they've got keys to your house. And so there's a lot to it. But also... Um, commercial dog walkers do great things because they allow people who may not otherwise be able to have a dog and sometimes those are people who, who most value that companionship to have to, you know, to be able to have a dog and also to make sure that the dog's welfare isn't compromised. Yeah, yeah. So I mean th there is a genuine need obviously for, for someone to come in and walk your dog but as you say it's a huge responsibility, it's a huge trust when you give them your dog isn't it? So you do, so for example I'm you know with my Labrador, for example, with my Border Collie, he'd come back to anybody, but my Labrador might not come back to somebody else. So you do need to know that you're dealing with someone that you can either trust to say do or don't do off-lead exercise and that they know some strategies for getting a reluctant dog back. Absolutely. I mean, some of the work that we did with Scottish Natural Heritage in Scotland, we actually got the first data we've really ever had about commercial dog walking as a whole. And one of the questions we asked was, you know, how many, what percentage of owners want their dogs exercised off-lead? And the majority do. Yeah. And that's fine but actually there's a whole range of things as you say do they know how to return the dog um, what sort of you know do they use a whistle what are just the right commands because also somebody walking your dog might get it into really bad habits yeah. uh, and also um, often we you know people try really hard to make sure the dogs don't have that first chase of a sheep or a deer or something because once the dogs chase something it's very naturally rewarding mm -hmm. if you've got a dog walker taking your dog somewhere where that could be a problem it could cause you a whole load of problems so it's actually being quite explicit about 
you know your dog and your dog's needs and again just like getting a, a puppy we would if somebody was getting a puppy off us we'd be asking them as many questions as we'd hope they'd ask us and it should be the same thing because you just don't know and, and that dog might react differently with other people um, also like if your dog was out for a walk and it got a tick would you be expecting the the, the dog walker to take that off would you want them to take it to a vet or what happens if it got ill do you want them to wait for you to give consent say if it was injured to say have anaesthesia at the vets because the vet's going to want somebody to sign for it so there's all those things which you don't want to think through because you want to think of the walker and the dog gambling through a lovely hay meadow but it isn't always like that and so thinking about it beforehand and doing what the kennel club's trying to do through its accredited instructor scheme is actually raise standards so also commercial dog walkers can sell on quality and not just price because yes. I would pay you know for having the best dog walker for my dog for sure yeah. oh, absolutely so it's kind of sort of a, a guarantee if you like that you're, you're talking to if you can see their kennel club accredited yeah it's sort of a guarantee that this person has done certain things um, so what can we expect when we go to a kennel club accredited dog walker what can we expect sure well one of the first things that we're going to develop this year is a, a code of practice because there's some key things that should be the bare essentials for what you would be looking for so things about how many dogs are walked at one time having insurance first aid how are the dogs transported because we know about 97 percent of commercial dog walkers and um, carry dogs uh, in the van and what we'd be looking for for a professional dog walker is to make sure that the car or the van is appropriate because what happens if there's an accident that sort of thing but also things about you know checking um, is the dog's microchip still in place so a really good com uh, dog walker would have a, a scanner because often you'll know for yourself if you say does your dog this or do that most owners want to be pleased and say oh yes of course it does but actually the last time you want like, the time you don't want to find out whether the microchip's moved or it's not been put in at all is when it's got lost so scanning them and just things about your dog walker should know where's the nearest um, kennels where strays are taken for example and if a dog did go missing what's going to happen to the other dogs are they going to be left in the van or it, there's lots of things to think about but also some of the things I was talking to the dog walkers about was just looking after themselves because if we're working with dogs we should love it you know we should yeah. get up every morning otherwise we could be working behind a checkout but I think when you're doing something you love and I know this from myself it's actually a lot more stressful if you care about what it is yeah. and you need to look after yourself because you can't give you know 100 10% to your owners or the dogs and also as well if you're employing other people when you see the dog walker is that the person that's going to be walking your dog or will they be employing somebody else so there's a lot to ask but a good professional dog walk will actually see it as a positive thing that you ask lots of questions yes yeah and as you say you should see it as positive if they're talking to you and sort of telling you things and asking you as well you? Uh, absolutely and the thing to remember is if your dog gets into trouble say if it was chasing livestock or it, it jumped up at somebody it might be the owner as well as the person walking the dog that ends up in court so again you need to think about actually do i trust this person in i mean in the worst case scenario that dog could be put to sleep yeah, yeah. um so actually do you trust that person with that because it would be highly unfair that you know the clients are trying to do the right thing to get somebody to walk their dog but actually is that the right person so we want to just raise the standards because i know um i've seen some around london people will pick up the dogs they just pop them in the back of a transit van altogether. Um, you know, and that's just where the problems start. But there's some people who are trying really, really hard to do well, and that's what we want to encourage. So actually, to put the cowboys out of business by raising standards, and also, just like if somebody's looking for an, a trainer or a behaviourist, that they, these, the, the professional dog walkers can be on the Kennel Club website, so people can go from a trusted source to know that there's a, a certain standard of quality there. Yeah, yeah. If anybody listening to this is a dog walker or you know anything, because you, it's not just trainers and walkers. It's, you can be a groomer or kind of there's a lot of dog professionals who can um, benefit from this scheme isn't Absolutely. there so how, how would they go about that if they just go um, onto a search engine and just um, uh, google as one of the search engines KCAI or just look on the Kennel Club website they'll find the whole scheme because the Kennel Club accredits all sorts of things whether it's from dog breeders or behaviorists or um, uh, trainers so it's all part of that and the thing with the um, professional dog walkers as well what we'd be looking for from them is also good sound knowledge about dogs needs and physiology and what to do in emergencies that you would expect from a trainer or a behaviorist so this is just a specialism in being a, a good person to be trusted with somebody's dog yeah yeah and as I understand it if you've got experience already as a dog walker that counts towards getting this accreditation doesn't it absolutely I mean the key thing is that actually to raise standards this needs to be an inclusive 
exclusive pro um, process. So actually what's also being developed are a lot of online resources as well, because often if you're walking dogs, you don't have the time to go out in an evening. So there'll be a basic level of, of entry where you can sort of self-certify yourself and you, know, you would agree to abide by the code of conduct. But then at the highest level where you're accredited, somebody will come and look at you, see what you're doing, check out your insurance, all those sort of things. So that's like the, the gold standard. But from the Kennel Club's point of view, we want to try and bring everybody in as much as we can and there can be a lot of accreditation and acknowledgement of people who've been doing a really brilliant job for years. Yeah, yeah, excellent. I think it, it's, it is important to get some kind of continuity or, or sort of set a standard so that people do know it's not just Joe Bloggs from down the road as you say putting half a dozen dogs in the back of his van it is you do need to trust them it is and it's worrying because I've looked on some websites on the internet where you're just seeing you know what's out there and there's one or two that it's sort of saying oh this is a good summer job for a teenager or something here's a way to because it sounds like it's easy money but actually to do it well it isn't it's just like somebody watching some uh, behaviorist on the television and thinking oh I can do that for a few quid um, and it's a lot harder and, and of course with a dog the consequences can be well, in some ways fatal both for, for the dog, for other people or for wildlife and it's just some, that's just not somewhere we want to go because unfortunately as well if there's an incident in a park some councils don't say oh well that was just a, a one-off incident with a, a bad dog walk or whatever it may be often it can result in more restrictions on everybody so for the, the good of all the dog owning community and people who, who don't want to be hassled by dogs in the park we need to you know, support really the good guys yeah, definitely. Well, I hope the message has got across this craft. Yeah, I hope so. And if anybody else wants to know some more, have a look at the Kennel Club's website and we'll do our best to help. At the Kennel Club site, you can find out more about the Kennel Club Accredited Instructor Scheme, the Young Kennel Club and much more. That's it for this show. But that's not all of our Crufts coverage. And our next show, out later this month, will include a fascinating interview with Dr Mike Starkey, Head of Molecular Oncology at the Animal Health Trust, about his research into canine cancer. And that's an interview full of hope, by the way. Plus, we talk to the Border Collie Trust, we find out how to keep your dog happy with Rob Fellows, and I'll be talking poo with Stephen Jenkinson. So until next time, look after yourselves and your dogs. Thanks for listening to Dogcast Radio, available from www.dogcastradio.com. That's D-O-G-C-A-S-T radio.com. If you'd like to get in touch with us, and wherever you are in the world, we'd love to hear from you. You can do so in a variety of ways. You can contact us on Skype with the ident Dogcast Radio. That's all one word, Dogcast Radio. By email, you can contact me on Julie at dogcastradio.com When contacting us by email, if you have the facilities, please record your questions or comments and send them to us as an audio file. That way we can include them directly in our programme. We can accept most formats, for example, WAV, MP3. All these methods of contacting us can be found on our website, which is www.dogcastradio.com And as ever, the final word goes to Jenny. How do dogs complement each other? You're looking quite fetching.